Well, I'm so thankful all of you are here, and I greet all of you that are watching online. Now, if you are watching online, you might think, where are the young people? Well, they're on a retreat. All three of our campuses, North Richmond Hills, South Lake, and West Fort Worth, gathered all our teenagers for one big weekend, uh, over 450 strong, and that's where they've been. They're coming back here in a little bit, so we pray God's travel mercies on them, but I hear great things, and I think our teens are going to come back more in love with Jesus than ever, and I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about something that began at this campus at this hour last Sunday. You can see on the video, we started another service. Uh, it's in the chapel at this hour, and it's for Spanish-speaking believers and seekers. Uh, it's live music. It's uh, incredible spirit. They've got some wonderful leaders in there. And then at the sermon time, my sermon comes up and it's translated from Texas to English and then from English to Spanish. <laughs> and so it's the same teaching and the same leadership, but just a different venue. And so I tell you that so that if you have a Spanish speaking friend or neighbor, you would want them to know about this new service that is off to such a good start. And I'm glad that Charlie mentioned small groups because we are going to be going deep into Romans 8 in small groups. I hope you'll be in one. We're going to do something a little different. Uh, Instead of giving you a DVD, I'm going to do a recap for each week for the small group, and we're going to put that online so that you can watch it with your group on your laptop, or you can hook it up and watch it on your TV. And if you don't know how to do that, we have some of the sweetest geeks on our church staff, and they will help you do that. So I want you to be involved because Romans 8 is just greatness, especially when you consider what's in store for the children of God. So there's this man, he's single, he is the only child of a very wealthy businessman who was old and feeble and in his last days, and the son thinks, I don't want to be alone And it's time for me to try to find a wife. He's a very shy guy, but he is at an investment meeting and he sees a woman that is stunningly attractive and he's immediately drawn to her. And so out of character for him, he goes up to her and says, now I know this is awkward, but I wonder if I could meet you and ask for your number. And before you say no, just realize I know I'm an ordinary guy, but maybe it would help if you knew that my father is old and very ill. And very soon, I will be inheriting over a hundred million dollars. And she was impressed. And she asked for his card. And wouldn't you know it, three days later, she was his stepmother. (laughs) Which just goes to show that women are better at estate planning than men are. And another moral might be that... What you believe about the future should impact how you behave in the present. And if you have no condemnation status in Christ that Paul's been talking about, you can be assured of a future that is sheer greatness. So we've been reading that Paul says, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. No means No. And we said, when you preach the gospel that clearly, somebody's going to think, well, it does not matter how we live then. Does sin not matter? No. But we just deal with sin in a new way now. 
You see, when you are set free in Christ, freedom doesn't mean now I can do whatever I want. Freedom says now I have the capacity to become who I was meant to be, who I was created to be by God. Because now the Holy Spirit has brought life to me that I'm releasing in the power of the Spirit to be the person I was supposed to be. Now I am not led by flesh. I'm not led by law. But now I am led by the Spirit. And so he continues in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Want to guess what command is given more than any other in the Bible? It is the command not to be afraid. Because ever since sin entered God's creation, fear has been the dominant realm in which most people live. And so, if we're going to be the people we were called to be, if we're going to live with greatness, then faith needs a great answer to fear. Fear was the first negative emotion our fallen parents experienced. When they disobeyed God and He showed up, immediately it says they were afraid of Him and hid. They had never been afraid of God before. We were not created to live in fear of God. But fear is present when a sense of being close to God is absence. Because fear is the emotion of condemnation. But the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give us a spirit. That makes us afraid. Fear is for slaves. It is not for sons. So Paul's been talking about how the Holy Spirit is prompting us in Christ to live out this new life we've received. Where we say no to sin and where we say yes to God. And what he's really saying is the Holy Spirit is going to help you put on display the family resemblance. Because you're not slaves living in fear of a master who's going to blow his top at any second. He says, you are led by the Spirit and you are children of God. And the spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And I think most people live in the realm of fear. And religious people do more than anybody. And I'm saying to you, any preacher, any church, any gospel, 
any religious system that tries to get you to live out of fear is out of place in the kingdom of God. What he says is you didn't receive a spirit of slavery that makes you live in fear. But you received the spirit that brought about your adoption to sonship. And it's so essential, and I'm going to park here, and I'm going to bore deep here, that you leave today with one thought, that you're a son and a daughter of God, and not a slave. Now, this is a doctrinal sermon, and I know some people don't like doctrinal sermons. Hey, preacher, just give me some how-tos. But listen, doctrine is important, because what you believe determines how you behave. And it is critical. It will rock your world and it will change your life if you can come to believe that you are the beloved child of God. So, last December, two days after Christmas, they find the body of a homeless cowboy in Wyoming under an overpass. He died of hypothermia. His name was Timothy Henry Gray. Just another tragic story, but it wasn't just another story. Timothy's great-grandfather was a uh, rancher, oil baron, miner. He started some little town in Nevada called Las Vegas. You might have heard of it. And he was a multimillionaire who passed on to his children, who passed on to his only grandchild, Timothy's great-aunt. She had passed away. The will left all the money to the extended family. The courts were working through the execution of the will. Timothy Henry Gray was about to inherit $30 million. Did he not know? Had he lost connection to his family? Was he completely unaware of his great inheritance? Because he did not live. Like he knew his future. Now when Jesus went into the water to be baptized. The father says you're my beloved son. And he sent the Holy Spirit to affirm that. And how great that God has done the same thing for us. God wants you to know. That you are his child. That you are his heir. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to lead us to this closer intimacy with God as his child. You're saying, well, I thought everybody was God's child. Well, yes, in the sense of creation. God created every human being. And they bear the stamp of the divine image. Whether they are in the womb or they're 90 years old with Alzheimer's. Every human being. Bears the image of God. And therefore every human being has inherent dignity and worth. But sin blew up God's family. And now the Bible says in Ephesians 2. That we became children of wrath. 1 John 3 children of the devil. Jesus said you're of your father the devil. The Bible says that because of sin, there's now a new family with a new father. 
But God is not content to watch His gracious, loving intentions destroyed. So He sent His only Son to go and rescue those who were supposed to be at His table. Who were supposed to be in His family. And so now, who are the sons and daughters of God? You know the sons of God because of their relationship to the Son of God. So John would say, chapter 1, verse 12, to all that did receive Him, Jesus, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Because Jesus was never meant to be an only child. And the reason salvation is possible is because God is willing to have more kids in the house. Because God is willing to set more places at the table. So Paul says, Galatians 4, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, the Bible uses two powerful uh, metaphors to describe your entrance into the family of God. One is birth or rebirth. And the message there is you were dead apart from Christ. And folks, dead means dead. There are no levels of dead, okay? You think, well, I was a pretty good guy. I was a lot better than the guy down the street and a whole lot better than those guys in my dorm in college. Dead is dead. The point is, the only reason you have life in Christ is because the God of grace gifted it to you. You were born again into the family of God. But the second metaphor is adoption. And adoption communicates that family membership isn't natural. It is the intentional choice of a father. You see, I know something about adoption. Two of my three children are adopted. My oldest, Michael, and my second, Morgan, our daughter. And I know that there are no such thing as accidental adoptions. I've heard of accidental pregnancies. I've heard of people that had a biological child that weren't planning to. But you don't stumble into adoption. Adoption is a grueling time-consuming, exhausting, expensive choice. You see, what the Holy Spirit is trying to do is move us away from a performance-based religion where I think if I can just do enough and be enough and perform enough, maybe I can earn a place at the table. And if that's how you live... You will always be subject to fear. And the Holy Spirit is trying to lead us away from performance-based religion to acceptance-embraced religion. Where we were loved and we were intentionally chosen by a father that paid a great price because he wanted us at his table. You didn't earn your way there by your good life. And you don't forfeit your place by your mistakes. Because you were chosen 
by God. See, this should go past doctrine to emotion. You're supposed to feel this. And that's why Paul says, it's by him, the spirit, that we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our children, with our spirit, that we are his children. And I need the spirit's help. Because sometimes I don't feel like a child of God. Because I mess up. I feel like a black sheep in the family. I feel like I've lost my place at the table. And the Spirit comes and says, no, no, no. Just cry, Abba. The Hebrew word for father was Av. And so a little Hebrew baby, when he was learning to talk, would look up at his father and he would say, Abba, Abba. Daddy. That's who you are to God. God doesn't want the dutiful obedience of a bunch of slaves who were afraid of him. He wants the hearts of his children. And that's why he gives you the spirit. So that you can pray just like Jesus did. Again, Paul says, Galatians 4, because we're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This isn't a premise to deduce. This is a promise in which to delight. You should be feeling this. Do you ever just let yourself enjoy God's joy? Of you. I know you parents get this. Remember when your kids were small and they were playing with the puppy or they were playing with their blocks and their dolls or maybe they were just waking up from their nap and you saw them and you just began to smile because they were yours. And do you know that when you woke up this morning, your father smiled? Because you are his. And I, I wish I could say something that would let you start just enjoying your father's joy over you. One of the most famous pictures ever taken in the White House was this one. When JFK was president. Now, the Oval Office is the most secluded office in the world. Nobody just barges in. But his kids did. They played in his lap. They crawled under the desk. You know why? Because they weren't coming to see the president. They were coming to see their daddy. And that's how God wants you to feel. Because his love for you is not tenuous. It is tenacious and the spirit helps us to remember so that we won't get afraid when life gets ferocious and life will Paul says now if we're children then we're heirs heirs of God co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory 
Because life will get hard. And the Spirit's going to lead us to a clearer understanding of suffering as the children of God. Now notice I said clearer, I didn't say complete. There's always going to be some level of mystery to suffering. Until our salvation's consummated and our inheritance is fully received. We'll talk more about this next week. You do not need to miss next week. Because next week we're going to see that Paul says life is hard. And Christians should be the best groaners in the world. See, here's the deal. Life in the family of God should be free of fear. It will not be free of pain. Look again at verse 17. If we're to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. Suffering is no respecter of persons. Now, Paul's not talking about the kind of suffering that is the consequence of you making bad and disobedient choices. He's talking about the suffering that comes from living in a fallen world and following a crucified Savior. And he's saying, if the older brother suffered as son of God, the younger brothers and sisters will too. I've traveled a lot of the world. I've preached in many countries. And I've learned that only in America do Christians think they should have glory without suffering. Only in America can preachers get rich on TV telling people, just believe in Jesus and all your troubles go away. The rest of the world knows better. In the family of God There is pain and glory. Think about it. Where did Jesus pray the Abba prayer? It was in the garden. In the moment of his deepest pain. Because when the night is the darkest... That's when you need to know that your daddy is the closest. Because suffering takes the parent-child relationship to a whole new level, doesn't it? When you were by your baby's bed in the hospital. Or when you were by your mama's bed when she was dying. It changed the relationship, didn't it? There's something about pain that takes away the props and the crutches and the illusion of self-sufficiency. And drives you into your daddy's lap where you belong. So Paul could say, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about the troubles we experienced in province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
And so when pain and suffering come, the temptation is to drift into fear. The fear of a slave who thinks the master is mad at me. But the Holy Spirit is going to remind you, you're not a slave. You are a son. And your daddy's lap is open and so are his arms and you need to run to them. Because the father that adopted you will never abandon you. And so today, we remember our children by what Disney movie was popular when they were little. And so when our youngest Matthew was about two, the popular movie was Lion King. And he watched that movie, I I don't know, 876 times. And his favorite scene was when the big daddy lion said to the little lion, Remember, you are my son. (laughs) And little Matthew would run through the house all day just saying, Remember, you are my son. (laughs) And that is the beautiful, powerful testimony of his spirit to your spirit, especially when it hurts that you are the son and the daughter of God. That fear is not your primary realm. Joy should be. Because your God is present in your present. And he reminds you of what's going to be present in your future. The very next verse, we'll talk more about it next week, says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Because what you believe about the future affects how you behave in the present. And that's why I've always liked the story about Baron Rothschild, one of Europe's most uh, wealthy financiers. He got out of a carriage. He tipped the driver. The driver looked disdainfully and says, your son always gives me a bigger tip. And the Baron said, he can't afford to. He's got a rich father and I don't. (laughs) And you were not called to live like a slave but like a son or daughter with a rich dad. I think Romans 8 is pleading with us to start enjoying your inheritance now. Don't be like an elder brother. You remember that powerful story in Luke 15? The prodigal comes back. The younger son repents. The father throws him a big party. But the older brother's out in the field and he won't come to the party and he's angry. And the father goes out to him and that older boy said a word that had to break the heart of his dad. He said, all these years I've been slaving for you. Slaving? What father wants to hear his child say, you're my master and I'm your slave? And the father, with great tenderness but power, says back to his son, Look, dear son, 
everything I have is yours. You want a party, son? Have one. Everything I have is for you. You can't earn it. But you already own it. We're not going to receive our full inheritance until Jesus comes back. And what are we going to inherit? I'm not sure. I just know everything Jesus gets, I get. I'm cool with that. (laughs) But your father wants you to start enjoying your inheritance now. He is a rich dad that loves to lavish on his kids. Anybody here need a little more joy? Your father is rich in joy. Ask him for some. You having trouble forgiving somebody? Your father's rich in mercy. He can help. Is there a wound in your life that won't heal? Your father, he's rich in healing. How about wisdom? I could use more wisdom. Could you? Our Father loves to give when His kids ask. So ask. A child of a king should never be afraid to ask. One of my all-time favorite illustrations is told by Fred Craddock. He and his wife were on vacation for a few days in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They found a small little country restaurant for a quiet supper. He noticed a distinguished white-haired gentleman going from table to table visiting. He was kind of hoping the guy wouldn't come by and disturb their supper, but he did. He said, where are y'all from? Oklahoma. That's a nice state. What do you do there? Well, I teach homiletics at a seminary. Oh, you teach preachers. I got a story for you. And he sat down. And Fred Craddock is thinking, oh, great, another preacher story. And a white-haired gentleman said, my name is Ben Hooper. I was born in these mountains. Never knew my daddy. My mama wasn't married. Back then, I was a pretty big scandal. So when I went to school, the kids had a name for me, and it wasn't a very nice name. I spent a lot of time in school by myself, so I wouldn't have to hear that name. But worse was going to town on Saturday for supplies, and Everybody in town would look at me because they were all thinking the same thing. I wonder who his daddy is. I learned when I'd go to church just to come in late and leave early so nobody could talk to me. But when I was about 12, we had a new preacher. And I was getting up to leave, and I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I turned around, and there he was, this big man. I looked up, and he said, whose boy are you? Who's your daddy? And I just looked at my shoes in shame. And then a big grin came over his face. He says, wait a second. I recognize. You're a son of God. I see the family resemblance. And then he slapped me on my backside and said, so son, go out there and claim your inheritance. And that old man I'm Ben Hooper. And that one sentence changed my life. 
And he got up and left. And Fred said, I remembered how the people of Tennessee had elected a man who didn't know his daddy named Ben Hooper to be their governor. You weren't meant for fear. You are not slaves. You are sons and you are daughters. And if you will live out of that reality, it will rock your world. And it will change your life. And you've got an inheritance coming. And it is great. So, I'm asking now, Father, that you bore this troop deep into our hearts because it is the gravitational pull of the flesh, God, to drift toward fear instead of grace. And so, Father, help us to receive this truth, not just to receive it, but to live in light of it. Help us to begin right now to enjoy the joy of our Father for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all stand.